0: Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I have one quick thing to mention. Disturbed is now on YouTube. We'll be posting full episodes over there as well as doing some occasional live streams, contests, and giveaways, which you'll only be able to find on YouTube. We'd like to build up our following over there for a little bit more real-time listener engagement. So, make sure you head over and subscribe to the new YouTube channel and click the bell so you get notifications anytime we post. You'll find the link in the show notes of this episode or over at disturbedpodcast.com in the menu. And now, on with the show. This episode contains real narrated experiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening and welcome into episode 22 of Disturbed. I'm your host Chad. This week I've got five true experiences that are sure to give you a good scare. So come along and join me as we explore the realm of true horror. Our first experience comes from Reddit user TayTay1348 with narration by Nina Instead, host of the Already Gone podcast.
1: I've been wanting to write this encounter out for a while now. Unfortunately, it has taken me a long time to even fully fathom and process the potential danger I was in the evening that this story takes place. This happened about a year ago, and for background, I'm a 22-year-old woman who was attending university in a larger city, about three hours from my hometown. And I was living alone at the time, with my closest relatives being hours away. I had recently gotten out of a very abusive relationship and honestly, I was heartbroken and I felt devastated. I'd been living in my small one bedroom apartment with my boyfriend for the past two years. After the tumultuous end of our relationship, he moved out and I remained residing in the apartment. I'm only mentioning that detail because in some way it plays into the reckless decisions I made on this evening. For further explanation, It was hard for me to go home to an empty apartment and amplified and worsened the heartbreak I was feeling at the time. Anyway, onto the story. My friends had decided to take me to a hockey game to get me out of my house and potentially get my mind off the breakup. It was Friday night, and we'd been consuming fair amounts of alcohol during the progression of the hockey game. In the arena where the game was, there's also a casino and after the game, we decided to go to the casino to have a few more drinks. It was a busy night, and the line for the bar was long. While I was patiently waiting for service, I had started talking to a group of three men, and I foolishly exchanged numbers with one member of their group. My friends and I decided to call it a night following only one drink at the casino due to the overwhelming amount of people crowding the area. We parted ways, but instead of going to my apartment, I spontaneously, and if I'm honest, quite drunkenly, decide to text the man I had previously exchanged contact information with. He responded. He told me that he and his friends relocated to a nightclub in the area and suggested that I join them to continue a night of drinking. I still regret almost every choice I made on this evening, but I booked an Uber to meet the group of men and headed in their direction, The night from there on consisted of large volumes of alcohol and dancing. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my judgment was severely lacking due to both intoxication and the impulsiveness I was feeling, possibly in an attempt to numb the pain of the breakup. I'd never had a one-night stand before, and I decided I was going home with the man I'd been chatting and dancing with all evening. We arrived at his place via Uber, which he booked, and it was super clean. Think hospital-level clean, right down to the smell. Without even offering, he pours us each a glass of seemingly expensive red wine, and I thought nothing of it at the time, being that he poured it right in front of me, so I drank it. And that's the last memory I have, prior to waking up in his bedroom, due to the noise of the shower running. I was groggy and dazed when I woke up, but I slowly started to realize where I was and who I was with and I started to panic when I realized the only article of clothing still on my body was my bra. I frantically began to search for my cell phone, my clothing, my wallet. I rushed out of his bedroom, hoping to leave unnoticed before he got out of the shower. And when I left the bedroom, my heart dropped because all of his furniture and floors, they were completely covered with plastic shower curtains. Shower curtains that weren't there when I arrived hours earlier. Worse yet, All of my personal belongings were placed on the kitchen island, next to a hammer. A hammer. My instincts kicked in, and I grabbed my things and ran out the door. I didn't even bother to get dressed first. Once I was out of the house, I ran for several minutes in a random direction, panicked and fueled by adrenaline. I pulled my clothing on as I went, and when I finally stopped, I called a cab and went to my apartment and I didn't tell anyone anything about this incident for a long time afterward. The thing that haunts me the most is that the only item missing of my personal belongings was my identification. What were his intentions? Did he take my ID as some sort of trophy or memento of what he had planned for me? What was put in the wine to sedate me like that? Looking back, I realize I should have contacted the authorities immediately. And perhaps the reason for both, me not speaking up to law enforcement and me not telling my friends and family about the horrors I witnessed, was because I was, and I still am, so ashamed of the impulsiveness I acted with that night. This eats away at me daily because I think it's too late for me to report this man. I don't have the slightest recollection of where his house was and I don't know his real name. I tried to call the number he was texting me with that night, and it's no longer in service. I'm also pretty sure I had my identification with me when we left the club. If you have advice on how or if I can pursue this, I'd really be grateful. It weighs on my conscience to be in constant fear that he has hurt other women prior to and since our encounter. I was not in the right state of mind for attempting to contact the authorities sooner. I know, I should have called the police, but anyway... Potential serial rapist or murderer, whatever you were, let's not meet again.
0: If you enjoy what you're hearing, consider supporting us through our fan club. Members enjoy perks like shoutouts, early ad-free episodes, merch store discounts, and bonus episodes. Find out more at disturbedpodcast.com slash fanclub. In our next experience, we meet Reddit user Character Homework 75 with narration by Aaron Lillis.
2: As unbelievable as my story may sound, I promise I am not trolling, and every word I'm about to say is the honest truth. I cannot specifically remember exactly what grade I was in, but I do remember that I was in middle school. I remember this detail because when this event took place, I was with someone that was only my friend during my middle school years. After that, my friend moved away and we lost touch. This story takes place on the outskirts of St. Louis, Missouri, during the 1980s. For reference we will call the friend I was with, Amy. It had been a fun day with Amy. My mom had dropped us off at the mall where we had been wandering around window shopping and trying on clothes. This was a very tiny mall in a small town on the outskirts of St. Louis. Because this mall was so tiny, it didn't have a lot of restaurants or a food court. However, there was a McDonald's across the way. To get there faster, you could cut through a field that was in between the mall parking lot and a street. Once you cut across that field and cross the road, McDonald's was right there. So Amy and I went to McDonald's, ordered our food, and sat down. We were eating our ice cream and chatting away when a man walked in and sat down at the table in front of ours. The way we were sitting put Amy's back to him, but left me facing his direction. Almost immediately, I began to get an uneasy feeling, because not only did this man not order anything to eat, he just sat there the entire time staring at me with the angriest look on his face. He wasn't even trying to hide the fact that he was staring. I also remember he had these piercing eyes that were bright blue. Now, keep in mind that this was before cell phones were abundant, so calling my mom wasn't an option. And being as young as I was, it never occurred to me in my childlike mind that I should maybe get the attention of an adult working there or ask to use the phone. All I could remember thinking was this scary man was making me feel very uncomfortable. So Amy and I finished our food and ice cream. I had used her head to obstruct the man's view of my face and whispered to her what he'd been doing. I told her if he followed us out that we needed to run. Sure enough, as soon as we got up to leave, so did he. We rushed out the door as fast as we could. Then we began to sprint. I looked behind me and he was getting into one of those boat-sized cars they made in the 70s and early 80s. Luckily for us, there wasn't much traffic and we were able to cross the street before he had a chance to get to us. When we got to the field, I turned around to look to see where he was again. Before I go further, let me note that next to the field was the street that ran horizontally, the one we crossed. And then to the left of the field, there was another street that ran vertically. That street intersected with the one we had to cross. So the field was basically in the corner of these streets. The street to the left didn't run in a perfectly straight line, though. It ran in a diagonal direction that would eventually take you to the mall parking lot. This was good because when I had turned around again, I could see that he was watching to see where we were going. Next, he turned onto the street to the left of us and was driving very fast. He was definitely coming for us. Like I said, the street that ran diagonally took him in the direction away from us, but would eventually have us end up in the same parking lot. It was very obvious he was trying to get to the mall parking lot before we could get there. Because the road he was on went away from us, and we were shortcutting it through the field, plus running as fast as we could, we were able to get inside of the mall before he could catch us. We got very, very lucky. Once we got inside of the mall, we frantically ran up to a security guard and told him what had happened. Shockingly enough, he blew our story off as an exaggerated tale from two dramatic middle school children. Things were much different back then. Today, if young kids approached an adult with a story like that, the police would be called right away and a description of the man and his vehicle would be taken. Even worse than that, when Amy and I told my mother the story, she blew it off as well. My mother was emotionally neglectful and definitely was not the best parent growing up. I had serious trust issues towards adults growing up because of many situations like this. I never felt protected by the people that should have listened and kept me safe. I felt alone and unheard. This event being an important reason I felt that way, but that's another story. So fast forward to a few days ago, my husband was watching a YouTube video about serial killers. I stopped dead in my tracks because as he was watching it, a familiar picture popped up on the video. One of the people slash pictures of the men mentioned in this video was the man from McDonald's. I am 95% certain it was him. His name was Tommy Lynn Sells. Let me add that I have an excellent memory and am definitely a visual learner. I suck at names, but never forget faces. I can even remember a few people and events from when I was only three years old. This was such a scary event that I never forgot that man's face or the angry look that radiated off of him. It definitely stayed engraved in my young mind. No doubt that man was evil. My husband already knew my story. When I told him I thought that was the man who attempted to kidnap me, he was a bit skeptical. So together, we decided to do a little further research on this guy. What came next only solidified what I suspected. Tommy Lynn Sells was killing people, sometimes young girls my age, and he was indeed killing people in the St. Louis area during that time. He was also working at carnivals and was traveling killing other people in other states. Unlike most serial killers, he didn't have a type, Anyone he could get his hands on was fair game. He just liked the rush of killing. What made this creepier was the mall that Amy and I were at had a carnival going on every summer in the parking lot on the other side of where we were. I cannot remember what month it was, but when this happened, I do remember the weather was hot. I am relatively positive it was summertime. I wonder if he was working for that carnival. The picture of him on Wikipedia is exactly what the man at McDonald's looked like even down to that same evil, angry look. I will never forget that expression. I've been mulling over and over this ever since. I don't know if I should contact the FBI with my story. Though he was executed in 2014, L.E. knows of 22 murders he committed, but they suspect there are many, many more. My story might place him in an area someone disappeared from, but I don't know how helpful it would be considering I can't remember the exact month or year. I don't even know if I would be believed. What would you listeners do?
0: If you haven't heard yet, you can now text us directly with your comments and questions. The number to do so is 701-354-3667. Text in your comments and questions. We want to hear from you. Let us know who you are and where you're from. If you prefer a voicemail, the best way to do that is through our website, disturbedpodcast.com, and click the blue microphone in the lower right. We'll be covering your messages in future episodes. Again, the number to text is 701 354 3667. In our next experience, we hear from Reddit user Bondage Santa, and introducing new guest narrator Rachel Diamond.
3: This happened two years ago, August 11th, 2018. My fiancé and I were on the second night of our two-night camping trip, at a popular campground about half an hour from where we live. For reference, my fiancé is black. We live in a predominantly white, conservative, and racist area. This is important later. On our first night, we kept hearing noises in the woods around us. The campsite right beside ours to the right was occupied, but the one to the left was not. The campsites are about 150 yards apart, and we had camped here in the exact same plot the year before. Needless to say, we were familiar with the area and the various kinds of animals that live in the woods. The first night, we heard shuffling around our tent. It was obviously something large moving around, but we brushed it off and assumed it was a deer. On August 11th, we spent the day at the battlefields a town over with my family. They had all been invited to join us for the day by my fiancé as a surprise while he proposed to me. We stayed with my family into the evening, about 6pm, before heading back to our campsite. When we got back, things were really odd. Someone had obviously been in our tent. Our blankets were thrown around, clothes were on the floor, and my backpack had been rearranged and I was missing underwear. But hey, we were stupid 19-year-olds and decided that whoever had busted in had left and hadn't taken anything important. It was fine and they wouldn't come back. So we set up a campfire and sat out until it was dark, roasting hot dogs and s'mores, smoking cigarettes, and celebrating our engagement. Around 9.30pm, we put out our fire and decided to go into our tent for the night to celebrate a little more. Nothing too loud or obnoxious. Immediately after we finished, we started to hear the noises outside our tent again. But this time, we focused in. We heard clear footsteps, and at one point a man whispering. We looked at each other, and our eyes got wide. Someone was definitely walking around outside our tent. We were still and completely silent, just listening to the footsteps, and we heard whispering again. Shit, make that two men walking around our tent. As if we had the ability to read each other's minds, my fiancé said, I have to go to the bathroom, and I agreed. The bathroom was up the hill from our site. Most people who were in the lower sites like ours drove their cars up to the bathroom. Now, here is the part I still get chills thinking about. We got up, and were getting dressed. My fiancé had just turned on the light in our tent, when a man spoke directly to us from right outside. What are you doing? I can't even describe how malicious and menacing this voice sounded. It was clearly directed at us, and he said it with a snicker. He was watching us through the walls of the tent. Again, for this part, we were stupid 19-year-olds. So we decided to just run for it to the car. My fiancé grabbed his pocket knife and his keys and stepped out of the tent. He pulled me with him, and we ran like hell to the car. I heard the footsteps running behind us and then turning and running up to another campsite. At the bathroom, we talked over our options. We talked about sleeping in the car or driving into the town. Then we had another idea. We drove back down to our campsite and began packing everything into the car. At this point, it was around midnight. We moved faster than I think either of us thought possible, wrapping up the tent with our belongings still in it and grabbing our folding chairs. We were all packed in five minutes and hopped into the car to leave. I jumped out at the end of the drive and grabbed our nameplate, which had my full name on it, off the post. As we pulled out of the campsite, I saw our assailants for the first time. Stalking through the woods into our campsite were two tall white men. I realized that these were the same men who had been driving past our campsite the whole time we were there, just glaring at us and muttering to each other. One was wearing camo hunting gear, and the other was wearing a confederate flag tank top. Both were carrying large hunting knives, unsheathed and at the ready. They turned when they saw our car driving away, and one started to make chase until the other stopped him. I made eye contact with the man in camo, and he smiled the most terrifyingly evil smile at him and shook his head slowly. We drove the long way home, taking all the backwoods hardest to follow roads, and called my dad so he would know we were coming. When we got home, we told my dad everything and he shrugged it off as us being paranoid. So I never told anyone else besides all of you now. I'm convinced to this day that this was going to be a racially motivated attack. The campground was not heavily populated and my fiance was the only non-white person at any of the campsites. It was no accident that the two men who had been shadowing us since our arrival and wore Confederate flags and had one on their truck decided to target the interracial couple. I still get cold chills when I think about how close we were to being killed or seriously hurt that night, and just how lucky we were that our reckless plan just to make a run for it worked. So to those two men who stalked our campsite with the hunting knives, let's not meet.
0: This episode is made possible by Supporty. Are you struggling to stay motivated to the goals you've set for yourself? Maybe you're trying to wake up earlier, but you keep hitting that snooze button. Or perhaps you have dreams of starting your own podcast or side hustle, but you haven't been putting in the work consistently. Well, one of the best ways to make lasting behavioral changes is by an accountability partner who will help you stick to positive daily actions. So, how do you find a reliable accountability partner who's going to engage with you and keep you honest? Supporty is a mobile app that matches you with accountability buddies for a week at a time. Supporty pairs you and a buddy up one-on-one. That's for maximum accountability. Plus, it's mutual. So, you encourage your buddy and they encourage you each day of your seven-day session. What's really cool is you can see whether your partner accomplished their daily actions, and they can see the same about you. If you want a more effective way to stay motivated, experience the difference of an accountability partner. Download Supporty, that's support with an I at the end, from the Apple App Store or Google Play Store, and make sure you choose Disturbed Podcast when you create your account to start your two-week free trial. You can check out the show notes of this episode for more details. Get encouragement, get motivated, and achieve more with Supporty. and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your
4: podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On conflicted,
0: It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. In our next experience, we're introduced to Reddit user HTTP Cake and introducing new guest narrator Mackenzie Durbin.
5: happened when I was six years old and now I'm 22. My family traveled to British Columbia for my aunt's wedding. I was the flower girl and the wedding took place at a remote church ground beside the ocean with beautiful docks. The wedding went off with no issues. I tossed some flowers and scratched my itchy dress. Following the ceremony, everyone came outside to do photos on the docks. I got distracted playing in the dirt while the wedding party moved down the dock without me. My mom, of course, was distracted talking to her sister, and I was usually glued to her side anyway. While I was drawing in the dirt with a stick, a man in his suit approached me. He didn't look dangerous, and he said he was a cousin or something of my now uncle. He did look familiar to me, but I didn't know why. He said my mom and my auntie had tasked him with watching me while they took photos and stuff. I didn't know any better, so he took my hand and began walking me not back to the church where the reception would be, but towards the dirt road leading out of the property. Everything went fine and dandy, and we were almost now up to the road where a tree line blocked the exit. I heard my mom scream, Do not touch my daughter! and turned around to see her running down the dock towards us. Now, for context, my mom is a heavier woman, and this is the fastest I have ever seen her run in my life. She looked absolutely foaming at the mouth rage. The man squeezed my hand like he was going to make a break for it, but I guess he decided otherwise when the rest of the guests saw my mom screaming and running and started making a beeline for us too. He jumped into the woods next to the dirt road, and when the police got there, there wasn't much they could do because a statement from a scared 6 year old isn't very useful. The police ended up assigning someone to sit at the entrance to the property while the reception took place in case he was to come back for whatever reason. My mom kept me glued to her and left a little early with my brother and I. It dawned on me when we were going back to the hotel that the man was from the hotel. I had seen him looming around at the swimming pool and at the continental breakfast room. Apparently he was eavesdropping and somehow found out we were going to that wedding. I told my mom and she was furious. She told the hotel front desk and got me to tell them what he looked like. With the key information that he was wearing a suit, they had told us that he had already checked out and left in a hurry. They said that they would file a police report with the information he had provided when checking in, though because he paid for the room with cash, there is no way of ever knowing if he used an alias. My mom decided to take us to another hotel on the other side of town that night. The police never followed up with her and a few days later, we went back to my home province. I never understood how much danger I was in until I got a little older.
0: Our final experience. We hear from Reddit user Prod by UNHINHXD with narration by yours truly. My name is Luke, and I am now 20 years old. This story happened to me when I was 17. This experience still gives me chills to this day. In May of 2017, I found myself going out a lot more on my mountain bike. I was getting bored of cruising around the streets, so I wanted to go for a trail woodland bike ride. I've never been to Lee Woods before then. And personally, I don't think I'll be going alone again. After some research into a few different areas, Lee Woods seemed to be my best bet. Living only a couple miles away, it was a nice bike ride. On arriving, it looked very peaceful and I was almost in a dreamlike state by my first look of the place. For a woodland area in England, let alone Bristol, it was amazing. Upon going into the woods, I remember seeing different colors at the start of each trail signifying difficulty for bikers and length for walkers. So I decided to go down a colored trail to see how it was there. Finding it exciting, I decided to go down the harder trail. And now, here's where it starts to get weird. I began having this weird sort of vision looking around as if I'm being swallowed by the woodland. Everything felt like it was getting bigger and further away. I brushed it off, but it turns out I actually lost track of time. I got lost on the trail. Now bear in mind, I'm very observant and aware of my surroundings before this trail. I then come to a strange opening. I could go left in the rough direction of the way out, or right deeper into the woods. Me being me, I decided to go deeper into the woods. I came to a weird little trail that just had dodgy written all over it, metaphorically speaking. I went against my gut feeling of turning back and went down there. I came to a point of which the trail continued but it was getting dangerous. The trail being too bumpy for me to even walk down. I then began to turn back, but for a few minutes before turning back, I don't know why, but I just stood still staring down the trail. I felt like I was being watched from all angles, even though it would be near impossible to have that many eyes surrounding me in that area. I got nervous and began walking back up the hill as I was too tired to ride at this point. Now, my bike tires are completely solid. No punctures, slow punctures, or even anything wrong at all. Upon getting back to the spot where I originally went to the trail, that weird loss of time thing happened. It felt as if the whole path had stretched by half a mile, as if the woodland was moving. I began walking up the path feeling that same eerie sensation of being watched as I did beforehand. This time, it felt a bit more sinister. It felt as if something was about to happen. Bearing in mind, I hadn't even seen a single person at this point in time since I went down that first trail. I'll explain the scenery before continuing. It's a long path, a slight steep hill to my left, a very narrow river to my right, maybe four feet deep and maybe four feet wide. Bushes are on the other side of that river, with an odd tree every now and then. Upon getting about a quarter of the way up the slowly inclining path, I hear a woman, crying behind a tree up ahead. I start slowing down my walking pace to try and get a good look behind the tree. But the whole time, I'm thinking to myself, why would someone jump across to cry behind a tree? So I edge closer to the river to look behind to see if the person is okay. Also because many people go to Lee Woods to commit suicide. So I was hoping to maybe help this person. But you guessed it. There was no one there, and the crying stopped. A bit weirded out, I just slowly turn away and start walking again. A bit quicker, as I was unnerved at the time. I've had paranormal experiences before, but not usually in a place like the woods. Usually in a house or some sort of a building. So this was new to me. I had this sudden shiver as I was walking and maybe a minute or so later, only a couple meters away from where I heard the crying, it started again. But this time, it was right opposite me across the river. I didn't bother looking. I started to go into a bit of a jog and as I got faster, I heard the bushes rustling as if they or it was following me. Upon hearing this, I sped up and the crying became more and more hysterical. And keep in mind, My bike was fine before this moment in time. I've thought to myself, fuck this, I'm gone. I went to hop on my bike with the adrenaline that was rushing through me, and I came to almost a sudden stop. My back tire on my bike had become completely flat, so I had no other choice but to sprint with my bike and pray for the best that I don't trip up or end up having to throw it to run faster. With the crying person still close to me and keeping up, I'm running faster and faster, praying I just get off this path that I was on. I had that feeling of wanting to cry because I couldn't actually do anything to help the situation or get out of it faster, and after what felt like an hour, but in reality was probably only 5 or 10 minutes, I could see the car park. The crying had stopped following me and started moving back down to where I first heard it. I sprinted out into the car park. I must have been as white as a sheet of paper and hysterical with my breathing and wheezing because multiple people in the car park turned to look at me like I was crazy. I saw the exit sign out of the car park and ran towards it and whilst doing so, I noticed my bike to be moving a lot smoother on approaching the car park exit. I couldn't believe that my bike tire had suddenly regained all of its air. It was solid again, as it was before the unnerving crying person shenanigans. I jumped on my bike and got away from Lee Woods as fast as I could and have never gone back since, as every person I tell this story to becomes reluctant to go there with me or any extra people. The thing that makes this scary is I have Irish heritage. In Irish folklore, there is a demon woman called the Banshee. She is seen in woodlands next to rivers and lakes, washing blood off of clothes. It's said, if you see her washing blood off of clothes, the person who owns those clothes will die. Alternatively, if you hear her crying, it means death. I can't remember the meanings exactly of the deaths, but it means either you or a loved one will die. Since 2017, I've lost my auntie, two of my best friends, and a dog. Club members at the Platinum $10 level are receiving their additional bonus story right about here in the podcast. To get that little extra fix in every episode, you can join the fan club at the Platinum level right now at disturbedpodcast.com slash fan club. If you've enjoyed this episode of Disturbed, the best thing you can do is subscribe wherever you're listening, leave us a rating and review, and tell a few friends about us. All of these things help new people discover the podcast and keeps us growing. It's all greatly appreciated. If you want some extra perks and content, consider joining our fan club. Premium listeners and higher get access to our highly rated bonus series of episodes, Disturbing Calls. Join today at disturbedpodcast.com fanclub fan Theme music for this episode by Kevin Hartnell. Special thanks to all the contributing narrators and submitters of these stories. You'll find all the relevant links in the show notes. You can see more info on our website, disturbedpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast, and on Twitter at disturbed underscore pod to stay up to date with all the latest Disturbed news. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel and shoot us a text at 701-354-3667. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Stay safe out there, y'all.